Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, agency owner? If you're new here, I've got a free ebook on how to scale your business to multiple six and even seven figures by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself as the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is DM me the word gift on Facebook at Brent Weaver. That's facebook.com slash Brent Weaver. And I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in business and life. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. And today we are hanging out with Jeremy Harbour. Jeremy is a mergers and acquisitions expert. He uh, started his first company at 14, left school at 15, started growing that business, ended up kind of crashing and burning that one, I think, around when he was 18 or 19. Uh, He has bought and sold over 100 businesses. He has helped in the acquisition and merger of over 200 businesses. He's helped two companies go public. He's in over 40 reverse mergers. He currently runs the Harbor Club, a community for entrepreneurs, as well as the Unity Group, a private equity firm. Jeremy, welcome to the program, man. Hi, thank you for having me. So, um, dude, you're like very entrepreneur, right? Uh, I mean, I think like a lot of like pure blood entrepreneurs, you kind of got into it early, found that this was kind of your way. I know I said in the Mm -hmm. intro that you left school at 15. I mean, that's kind of a, I don't hear that very often. I hear a lot of leaving college kind of thing. That's kind of my story of like leaving my last year to go start, you know, go to run my business full time. But I don't hear a lot of people leaving high school. So what, uh, take us back to that a little bit. Yeah. So I'm, look, I was, uh, I was super entrepreneurial from a very young age. I remember getting in trouble from my parents for cutting all the flowers down in the garden at seven years old and trying to sell them in jam jars to people passing by. Um, yes. So uh, that was my kind of uh, earliest memory. I had business cards when I was 12. I, you know, I was the annoying kid at school that was always trying to sell you stuff. I would just take, you know, whatever I could find from the house, take it into school and sell it to people. And then I, I, I started buying, uh, you know, stuff from the stock section of like um, these trader magazines. So I'd buy chocolates and jeans and jumpers and jewelry and all sorts of stuff and sell it at school. If I had too much of it, I'd sell it at like yard sales and stuff at the weekends. Um, so yeah, I, I was just, uh, yeah, addicted to this idea of being, being an entrepreneur from a, from a very young age. And, you know, I can, I can relate to that. I think my, my parents tell people the story all the time that I was selling seashells at the boardwalk or at the beach. Literally, I'm like selling people stuff that they can get like eight feet away when I was seven. Uh, and so, <laughs> yeah. so maybe there's something to that, right? If you're out there, there definitely some parallels. And, and your kids yeah, yeah. are trying to hawk stuff, right? Like, uh, don't be too worried. They're going to be an entrepreneur. Maybe they should be really worried. Yeah. I don't know which, which one yet. <laughs> so you've, so, and that's, that's a cool story. I love, I love hearing that, that people had that early kind of start. I think there are those yeah. out there. Uh, I feel like maybe I find myself in kind of that camp. There's a lot of people that discover entrepreneurship later, right? Um, yes. Whether they've been yeah. working for when a while. They're, when, they're fed up, when they're fed up with working, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they reach a breaking point. They're like, I'm not working for somebody yeah. else anymore. But um, yeah. so you've you've obviously become, I mean, one of the top experts out there in, in business related to mergers and acquisitions and mm. scaling your business through acquiring other businesses. And so I think for our listeners, this is a really 
awesome topic, especially with everything that's been going on in 2020, because maybe traditional growth has stalled or has experienced some challenges. And also on the flip Mm -hmm. side, like there's probably a lot of businesses that are available right now, or maybe parts of them are right. They're getting parted out because they, they, they got underwater or whatever. So, so let's go back a little bit though. And, uh, Tell me, like, how did you get into mergers and acquisitions? Like, when was your first? When, when was the first moment that you decided to say, "I'm going to buy a company"? Yeah, let me let me walk through that because sometimes I think it can it can seem a bit daunting for people. I think people can sit there and go, "Hey, that that's not for me." You know, I'm uh, I, I'm still trying to figure out how to get customers, or I'm still trying to figure out how to get break a million in revenue. I'm not ready to do deals yet. But I I think maybe uh, maybe you should look at this as an uh, as an extra engine on the plane. You know, you've got your organic growth engine. Why not stick another engine on, which is uh, which is M and A? And I mean, interestingly as well, the industry that you're in. I mean, the top 200 marketing agencies in the world, 198 of them are roll-ups. You look at all the biggest players, you know, publicists and uh, Omnicom and Dentsu and WPP. They're all, I mean, WPP's 2,700 acquisitions stuck together. So, uh, you know, just, you're, you're in a, you're wait. in a very, very, uh, how many? Yeah. So wait, the 2,700 acquisitions is WPP. Uh, you're the largest marketing agency in the world is WPP. And it's, uh, yeah, it's 2,700 companies that have been rolled up into, into one effectively. So, um, so you're in an industry that is built on acquisitions. Like I say, all the biggest companies in the world in your sector are roll-ups. They've, they've acquired their way to growth, um, as well as having organic growth as a, as a strategy. And look, when I was, uh, when I was in my, um, early twenties, I started a telecoms company, um, in the mobile phone space. And it was just when mobile phones were getting really hot and getting small. The first time they weren't like a house brick. And, um, I got to, uh, around a million in revenue. And I had loads of people approaching me trying to buy me. Um, and that was a really great education for me because I had all these people uh, effectively like pitching me to buy my business. So I sat on the other side of the table listening to all these presentations. And the one thing they all had in common is they were putting these deal structures to me that didn't involve them putting in an awful lot of cash. And I didn't have an awful lot of cash. So I thought maybe I should be on the other side of the table. You know, Maybe I should be the buyer instead of the seller if this is how you can do deals. And so I went out and I found it was, I mean, they were only doing about 200 grand a year in revenue. It was a little mobile phone business, but they had about a, th- a thousand active mobile phone customers. Now we were connecting about a thousand new customers a year. Um, so this little deal represented a year's worth of growth for us. And, um, and basically at the time, I didn't have any money. I, I remember the month that I was chatting to this guy. I had a choice of paying my credit card bill or my staff. You know, it wasn't like I had this extra money that I could go buy a, a company with. You know what it's like running a bootstrap business. You're you're robbing Peter, not always paying Paul, as I describe it. Um, and so, uh, so we're we're going through this kind of growth phase. And um, and anyway, this deal comes along, and it's like fifteen grand. This guy wants for this business. You know. Um, so what? for fifteen grand, I can grow by a year's worth of sales in an afternoon. And if if I, you know, I looked at what I was spending on marketing, what I was spending on salespeople, you know, the, the, this just made so much sense uh, uh, to me. And um, but I couldn't lay my hands on fifteen grand, so I basically had to present him with a deal where he got his fifteen grand over time. You know, as we extracted the cash from the customers that we bought on board, we would pay him for them. And basically. Um, he had, uh, you know, he had some motivations, some personal stuff going on that he had to deal with, and that was our offer. Our offer was, you know, you can't have your fifteen grand now; you can have it later. 
And anyway, uh, I thought the deal had kind of died, but the motivations got the better of him. And um, I was able to close the deal with no money up front, pay the 15 grand over time and grow by a year's worth of sales in an afternoon. Now, it wasn't a huge deal. It wasn't a massive deal, but it was a game changer mentally for me because the only way I knew how to do that otherwise was investing loads of money in, in sales and marketing. And this, I'd risked nothing. I'd put no cash in uh, to the transaction at all. And we'd got this this sudden growth. So it was kind of like, an epiphany, you know, that there was a, a different way to do business. I, I didn't have to run the marathon. I could just do the last few yards, you know, and they still give me a medal. So, and I, I hear that story and I mean, I have to kind of wonder, like, I mean, he's got some personal motivations, 200K yep. business. So, I mean, top line, they're doing, you know, whatever, he, he, 17K yeah, he, a month, but he's probably not taking much out of the business for himself. Yeah, he his his net profit was 12 grand in the year before. Because okay. uh, he was operating from a, re a retail premises. So he's got all the costs associated with the retail premises, then obviously his margin uh, from that. So he was he was netting 12 grand. So we gave, him, we gave him a little bit over a year's worth of profit without him having to work another year. Right, right. So was that, I mean, that to me sounds, I mean, I, I don't know. My, my napkin math is telling me that that was not, a, was not a super successful business. It was maybe under a little bit of duress. So is that kind of like part of this is, is finding businesses that maybe the owner is ready well, to leave for one reason or another? Yeah. I mean, at that, at, that, at that point in my career, that was the right thing for us to do. So my telco was doing about a million a year in, in revenue. I did that deal. It suddenly opened my eyes to this new way of doing stuff. And I then went on and did, I did my next deal two weeks later. Uh, oh, my wow. next deal was an IT, an, yeah, an IT company. And once I'd figured out you could do this, I just pretty much made the same pitch to somebody else and added another 200 grand's worth of revenue this time in IT services, which was very closely aligned to Telco. So it was a nice uh, fit. And I then basically went on a rampage of buying these businesses. And I went from a million of revenue to 13 and a half million of revenue in 18 months. And I went from having about uh, 15 staff to having 135 staff. And I went from a payroll that I couldn't afford 18 months ago to a payroll I couldn't afford, but was 250 grand a month now. <laughs> 18 months Great. So, later. So, so you made, so, uh, you, you made your, your small problems, uh, big problems, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Made, made, made my life really difficult. What, what was fascinating was, you know, uh, I couldn't lay my hands on 15 grand 18 months ago. Now my payroll was 250 grand uh, uh, in a month. So my whole perception of money you know, the whole way you look at money, I went from having 80 grand a month coming through my bank account to having over a million a month going through my bank account. They, these, you know, this, this, uh, this shift in scale, this shift in mental perception around what you consider to be a lot of money, it, it really challenges you. And uh, uh, when you start to, when those numbers start to change, you suddenly, yeah, you suddenly realize, you know, that the numbers get a lot bigger. I remember getting a, the company credit card with 150 grand limit on it and just thinking, wow, that like 150 grand is more money than I've ever seen in my you know, in my life, this is uh, and this is the limit on a credit card. You know, so yeah, it's it's a it's a strange uh, thing to go through. Hey, agency owners, are you currently building, managing, or optimizing WordPress websites and struggling to keep up or becoming the bottleneck? I'm excited to announce Unlimited WP, a white label team that can help you do more with less. Whether you're building a WordPress website, doing updates, or maintenance and backups, you can assign all those tasks and more to Unlimited WP, so you can free your time, make more money, and focus on what's most important. Get 25% off your first month by using the code DAS2020 at unlimitedwp.com to start today. Now let's get back to our interview.
And, and, and we'll come back to maybe some of those mindsets around money because I, I do want to talk about that of like because you're talking about some size of money and then there's also kind of some velocity mm-hmm. of money that uh, that you're bringing up here that is going into kind of some big territory. You, you know, and I hear this term roll up and it sounds so mm-hmm. simple and you know, oh, you just roll up the businesses, right? Oh, you just roll up, right? Mm-hmm. But I think for a lot of our listeners – that might not be familiar with the idea of a roll-up strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they get an opportunity to buy another business, but it seems like a really big deal, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. buy a business, right? Or do do we buy this business? Or it might be uh, something that's really um, abstract, you know. But this term roll-up, it's almost like you're saying, oh yeah, you just find some businesses and you know roll them up and go from a million to eighteen million in, uh, in or uh, a million to uh, what did you end up rolling it up to? Uh, was it uh, 13 million? and a half million? Yeah, thirteen no, and a million over eighteen months. Half, yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that just it, yeah, you, know, you make it you make uh, it sound so simple and so easy. So. Yeah, and and I and I apologize for that because <clears throat> the deals themselves were quite simple in terms of uh, once I'd figured it out, I, I got that velocity. But the kind of uh, the wake I left behind me was was uh, you know pretty chaotic. I mean, I got myself. Mm. Uh, I you know every business I bought, I took an I took a bit of uh, uh, a retainer from. So my goal was to build my income. Um, and of course, when you build your income, your lifestyle expands into that income. So you have a nicer lifestyle, but you don't really create any wealth. And what I did is I created this fantastic income and this fantastic lifestyle, but no time to actually enjoy that lifestyle. So you drive a very nice car to the office and you sleep in a very nice place. But that's like pretty much your experience of all this extra uh, uh, income. And, and you know, something had to give. And I decided that I that within those 12 companies, there were kind of two big interests, if you like. The telecoms company had grown significantly during that same period of time because uh, it you know, had the benefit of uh, accessing all those customers uh, from all those other companies. And there was another company in there, a call center business that was also doing really, really well. It was spitting off loads and loads of cash um, and was the most profitable business. And so what I decided to do was to sell the telecoms company, keep the call center business and divest a lot of the other smaller companies as well, management buyouts and things like that to just kind of clean up... Uh, you know, my, my time schedule as much as possible. Um, and a really interesting thing happened. I sold the telco and that taught me a fantastic lesson, which is that you don't make money running businesses, you make money when you sell them. And also that when you sell them, it's not just the cash that you get, it's all the time you get back. The telco was a startup that I'd done from scratch and was 10 years old. And so you don't realize how ingrained you are in every single thing that happens in that business and how you know, even at the weekends, you're thinking about it or doing something relating to it. And so when you sell the business, you finally have this time freedom, which is incredible. You get all this time back. And then the other thing that happened was the call center business went bust. Um, now, the reason I'd kept the call center business was because it was so profitable. And uh, one of its big clients was AIG, which at the time was the world's largest insurance company. And AIG, of course, went spectacularly bust in 2008. And uh, and that blew a hole in that particular company that it didn't survive, it didn't recover from. So uh, so effectively, what I learned from that was the right time to sell the business is now. Um, if you've got a good opportunity to sell, sell now because you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know if you're going to be disrupted, if Google's going to do it for free, if uh, you know there's another, a pandemic or something crazy like that, you know um, that could uh, that could come along. So. Um, yeah, I kind of learned that you know create capital events through exits and uh, and yeah exit earlier than perhaps you would expect to exit normally and, and get yourself set up basically get your your personal wealth sorted out because you can always go and do something again later you know 
Earlier, you talked about a deal structure with little to no cash. I think that if you're looking to, and and maybe we'll dig into kind of like, if you are a company, an agency out there that is hearing this from Jeremy and you're kind of thinking, oh, maybe I do want to buy a business or maybe I've been thinking about this and I haven't really moved forward on it. Maybe this this is that kick in the pants to do that. Let's talk about that deal structure with little to no cash on the buyer side. Cause on the seller, on the, on the, uh, you know, selling your business, that doesn't sound super exciting. So, but to the buyer, you yeah. know, to somebody buying companies, uh, buying companies with no cash does sound interesting. Mm-hmm. So how does that deal structure, what does that look like and how do you approach and create those types of opportunities? Yeah, well, look, the first thing is to be out there looking for deals because most people are out there looking for sales. So they're not engaging in conversations that could lead them towards having a deal conversation. And the big change for me um, in my telco was going out and saying to people, I run a telecoms company and I'm looking to acquire other telecoms companies. Um, And just that, uh, you know, straight away, I think what I used to do is meet everybody and say, how many phones have you got? How much do you spend on your your phone bill? So immediately they put you in the category of like hunter, you know, you're you're there Mm. to sell them something. All of a sudden, I'm now saying I'm buying companies and they go, this guy might be interesting. He must have loads of money if he buys companies, you know, so you suddenly got pigeonholed in a different way, led to much more interesting conversations, lots of introductions to other people. And uh, yeah, just generally improved the quality of the conversations I was having enormously. So the first thing is to be looking for the signposts. They pop up everywhere when you're when you're looking for them. Um, if you're not looking for them, you're not going to you know, come across them. Um, and then just get into conversations with people about what their plans are for, for the business because you don't really want to approach companies for sale. I would never go to a business broker or to businesses for sale or bizbysell.com or any of those kind of uh, places because once people have kind of crossed that mental uh, you know, uh, line, um, it's quite difficult to then sort of walk them back to something uh, sensible. But, but just approaching companies directly and having a chat with the owners and seeing what they want to do you know, subscale businesses are really, really difficult to sell. So they don't have a queue of people at the door with a checkbook open, ready to give them money. So if you can put a deal structure to them where you get what you want and they get what they want, then you can often get a, a deal done. And so, you know, with a marketing agency, for example, it might well be that um, you can pay them a reasonable um, sum of money for it, but they have to wait for that. And the reason they have to wait for it is because you want to integrate their business with your business and and leverage some of the upside from doing that and then you're going to share some of that upside with them over uh, over some time or it might be that they're ingrained with the relationships they have with certain clients and you want them to stick around and manage those relationships and so you're going to pay them over that period of time to sh- to you know to get the handover between those clients to make sure that you know you're going to retain those clients going forwards so um there's lots of different ways on a uh, you know I have a uh, a community called the Harbor Club. And in the Harbor Club, we have 14 different deal structures that we use. In fact, I think it might be 15 now, uh, 15 different deal structures that we use, which are all no cash up front, no uh, bank borrowing uh, deal structures for acquiring small to medium sized companies. So about three or four of those structures are for distressed opportunities, which obviously right now with the pandemic, there's certain industries, you know, if you're in the, if you're an agency to the travel sector or to tourism in, in some way, then you're probably finding it really tough right now. So there's some good opportunities uh, for doing distressed acquisitions to help you acquire those kind of uh, companies. And then there's a whole bunch of strategies for doing, you know, profitable, debt-free, well-run type uh, companies as well. So, you know, for example, all of the deals that I do, I've done six this year, all the deals that I do are, you know, solvent, profitable, uh, long-established uh, companies. There's a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. You mentioned not going through a business broker when you're on the buy side because yeah. 
and I kind of I kind of picked this up from you, which is that maybe they have unrealistic expectations around what they're going to sell for. And and I think from when when we were running our agency, we bought um, a couple of other books of business from other agencies. And when we initially talked to the agency owner, uh, and it was not a solic- it was not a solicited thing. We didn't go to them. They, you know, somebody kind of mentioned to me, "Hey, we have this this business. We're looking to kind of pivot. We would like to, you know, spin this part off and sell it. Uh, do you know anybody that'd be interested?" And at the time, I was I was very interested. But they came to us with a really really big number. They're like, "Hey, we're gonna we do this much revenue, and we want to sell for this much." And you know, a lot of that revenue was dependent on the owner selling and marketing the business. And we kind of looked at that and said, "Well, if the owner's not coming with it." You know, we'll pay for the active accounts that you have. We'll pay based on historical revenue from those accounts. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, our offer was a small percentage of what they wanted to get. And they did say no. And they walked away and they they were like, no, no way. We're not going to sell this to you. And I was like, all right, Greg, you know, go go look for somebody. And they did end up coming back because I think a lot of other people. There isn't that, there isn't that cure of checkbooks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There wasn't a big, there's not a big market, right? I mean, there is, mm. you know, it's kind of like your business is, is worth what what somebody's actually willing to pay for it, not what you think it is. But is that specifically why you don't go through business brokers? Like you don't have somebody out there hunting for you all the time? Yeah, no. So the, the challenge with uh, with business brokers, so what business brokers tend to do, so their, their business model is they charge a fee up front to onboard a client. And then uh, they get a percentage of the sale of the of the business. And so uh, the thing that keeps the lights on and keeps those those brokers in business is the fees they charge up front. So in order to get people to pay the fees up front, they tend to overpromise a little bit on what they're going to get. You know, so if you think you speak to five brokers, one says it's worth five million, and the others all say it's worth three, two, one million. You end up listing with a guy that said five million, even if it's completely un uh, you know unrealistic. Um, and he's only told you five million, so he can get the fee up front, so he can keep the lights on and the secretary paid. You know, so you have all these businesses that are that have, are basically overvalued because the broker needed to get the payments in that month to to list them. So the only valuation is is the broker saying, "Oh yeah, this is worth a lot of money." I'll, I'll get you five. And yeah, and they normally say, "I've got like a buyer who's ready to do it." He's sitting there with a suitcase full of cash. You just need to you know take me on oh. as your broker, and I'll introduce you. You know, it's it's kind of like the secondhand car sales approach, and then. Uh, and then basically they yeah they they then take all of the company's accounts and they do what they call the adjusted accounts and adjusted accounts just means accounting fraud basically they take all of the things that they they could have got away with not spending and they take that out of the accounts um, so that the profit looks massively inflated from where it really was so you know and, and we've literally seen this uh, where a company that's doing sixty thousand in profit because you can see that from their tax return. Uh, the brokers advertising it as doing six hundred thousand of profit, and then they're advertising it for one point eight million. So they're saying, okay, it's worth three times earnings, but the earnings is ten times the real earnings. <laughs> so it's actually like thirty times earnings. So uh, they, uh, it's just a massive waste of everybody's time. And if you think about it, um, if you're a real estate mogul, you know, do you spend your days staring in real estate agent windows? No, you don't. You go and find. You know, owners directly. You find uh, you know deals off market, and you and you go and do those uh, deals. And it's the same with businesses. Go and go and speak to business owners. They're the ones that ultimately made the decision, not the brokers. Just go and have more meetings with more business owners, basically in the sector that you want to do deals in. Hey, what's up, agency owners? As someone that's built hundreds of websites for clients over the last twenty years, I know how important it is to have a content management system that helps me launch sites fast. 
so I can focus on getting my clients' results and building a successful and profitable agency. If you're looking for a new CMS, I'd like to introduce you to a new platform called Zephyr, a content management system built for power users and agencies. Build websites faster, make clients happier. Find out more info at ZephyrCMS.com and get one free site for life and a free theme setup valued at $500. That's ZephyrCMS.com. Now let's get back to our interview. Let's talk about the sell side a little bit here because there could be people in our audience today, as you mentioned, maybe they're experiencing some challenges around developments in 2020. This has definitely not been a nice year. I mean, there's crazy stats, uh, you know, like one in six businesses are, you know, temporary closing down. Some of those are permanently closing down. If you are a business, uh, specifically an agency style businesses where you're a services business, you have a book of business, you might be uh, kind of to your term subscale, mm-hmm. you know, what are some things that you should be thinking about to get a good deal? Well, so, uh, I mean, if, if you're closed because of the pandemic, you know, if your business model isn't great during a pandemic, then probably, a, you know, I mean, if you do any kind of distress transaction, you're not going to get anything. It, it's going to be, a, you know, giving it to somebody for a dollar and letting them have a, a roll of the dice. So another alternative you could look at is merging. So when you merge with someone, effectively, you take equity in their business in exchange for your business. So it's kind of a no money down deal because it's they're, they're buying the company using shares instead of cash. Um, but you basically align yourself with another business and you work together to create shareholder value. So, uh, you know, in a, in a distress scenario, that could be a, a reasonable outcome just to come under somebody else's wing uh, and work together uh, to get out the other side of it rather than just tossing everything in for a, uh, for a dollar. If you're not in a distressed position and you're looking to sell, then there are two really key things. The first one is succession. You don't want to sell the business with you running it. So you need somebody to run that business uh, for you um, that's 100% in control so that you're effectively selling the business with them in control. Otherwise, you end up getting sucked in as an employee. Uh, Entrepreneurs make terrible employees. You'll probably find that a lot of the consideration, the money that you receive for the business is linked to you sticking around for a period of time. Um, So you want to make sure that you're non-executive, you're not involved in the day-to-day operations of the business when you sell it. Now, the easiest way to do that is through a merger, like I've just discussed. So you might find a company that's got great management, that are good at running the business. You merge with them, they become an equity shareholder in the overall bigger business, and they take over the day-to-day operations. You then move to a non-executive role where you're actively going out and marketing the business for sale with them in the driving seat. So that you know, that's a great way of uh, succession planning and then positioning the business to go out and uh, and do a deal. Um, the other thing to remember is big is beautiful. So um, there are different buyers that kick in at different levels of scale, and you need to get decent scale to get decent valuation. You know, for example, if you can get to ten million of EBIT, you have every SPAC in on the New York, you know, on the on the Nasdaq and every private equity firm pretty much um, sniffing at your door. So could you get 10 million of EBIT through a series of mergers or bringing a couple of other companies into pot? If that's too big a stretch, could you at least get 10 million of revenue by sticking a couple of other businesses uh, uh, into the mix? Because then you open open yourself up to a whole bunch of trade buyers that would be more interested in buying you. Um, But, you know, unless you get to that sort of scale, then the the universe of buyers is always much, much uh, smaller. So using uh, acquisitions or mergers as a way of getting to that scale 
very quickly and succession planning would probably be my first bit of advice. So it's almost like my advice for selling a company is to buy a company. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so don't, don't maybe, uh, you know, I mean, you can obviously sell it at any point as long as you're the buyer, but uh, some of those benchmarks are, I mean, those are big numbers, right? 10 million of EBITDA, uh, you know, earnings before interest taxes or depreciation is, uh, is a big number for most agency yeah. owners to be thinking about. Yeah. So, but so, but that, but that, but that's where you, that's where you have the biggest universe. So, of course, you don't necessarily have to get to the biggest universe, but, but think in those sort of terms that okay, if I want, if I want to really, you know, a lot of people to be interested in this, that's the sort of scale. If it's ten million of revenue, uh, then you're going to have a lot of trade buyers that are interested. So, other bigger agencies that are on acquisition sprees will then be more interested in you at that sort of size. Below that level. It's really, really hard. You are dealing with, um, you know, the, the private buyers and maybe smaller agencies, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a much harder place to operate in. But through M and A, you can get there much quicker. I want to close our interview on the conversation around valuation because mm -hmm. I think that in terms of buying and selling, whether you're going to be buying a company either for through no cash up front, but some type of payment over time, or you're going to be selling your business. I think a lot of us have in our minds that we're going to do all this work and then we're going to one day, somebody's going to come along and swoop in and, you know, write us a million dollar check or something like that for our, for our yeah. business. And, um, and everything will, will be right in the world. Um, and what I, what I find most often, and this is, this is kind of a hard conversation to have with a lot of, uh, smaller businesses is what the business is actually worth. And mm. a lot of people yeah. have a hard time with this and they, they're like, no, 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 it can't, it can't be, I wouldn't take that much, you know, that little for this. Um, but, but can you talk a little bit about valuation? I mean, what are the different valuation methodologies and how can somebody do some napkin math to figure out like, is a business worth it or is my business worth anything? Yeah. So the, the challenge you have is, I mean, you, you touched on this earlier, a business is worth what somebody pays for it. And that's actually the proper legal definition of valuation because that's what the tax office cares about. Uh, your business is worth what somebody pays for it. So if somebody buys shares in a public company, for example, the public company is valued at um, the number of shares in issue times the last share price somebody paid for it. So that's the that's the absolute. It's worth what somebody pays for it. Unfortunately, people look at strategic acquisitions, which are acquisitions that are done without a traditional rationale, but they add some external additional value. So they look at these strategic acquisitions and they think that's the benchmark by which to value their company. And actually, it's not a great benchmark. BizBuySell.com, the website, publish a report every year, um, which gives a breakdown by sector and the multiples that businesses on average attracted in that sector. And it breaks them down into sub 1 million and over 1 million uh, revenue businesses. And, uh, you know, uh, it makes pretty sorry reading. I, I should have checked the stats for marketing before I got on this. But I mean, I know something like engineering, for example, it will be like 1.6 times earnings for a sub 1 million company and 2.2 times earnings for a north of 1 million company. And these guys are all thinking they're getting 10 times, you know, because that's what they've heard is is normal. And also remember... I, I think the research that I've done is somewhere between one one to three yeah. on earnings. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot smaller than people are expecting. And the other thing is you might not get all of that in one go. Like I say, if you're in the driving seat, if you're the CEO, um, part of that will be contingent on you working for these people for the next couple of years and delivering on the results that you're saying that you're going to be able to deliver on. And entrepreneurs make terrible employees and invariably get screwed out of the earnout component because they simply can't you know, survive in that environment for that period of time. They just uh, 
decide the juice isn't worth the squeeze and they they uh, quit you know so um uh yeah so it can it, you know it can be pretty tough now there are things that you can do to improve the valuation i've already touched on scale you know increasing the scale of the business through a merger or through an acquisition is a great way of increasing the value and also you know succession planning yourself uh being part of a public roll up i love public companies because they they have a liquidity advantage liquidity is just the ability to buy and sell the shares very easily um, if you can buy and sell the shares in something easily, you get a premium in the valuation. So using a public vehicle can be quite an interesting way to increase uh, uh, value and, and liquidity. Uh, very common as well in, in your space, in the marketing services space, to put groups of companies together under a public uh, company. Um, and that's a strategy that's quite accessible for people. And I think often they don't think in those terms. They think in terms of uh, the creative they're doing every day in their business rather than the creative they could be doing with their their shares and their balance sheet. Uh, so uh, yeah, that, that certainly you know valuation is a dark art. So basically, the uh, Harvard Business School teaches 126 different methodologies for valuation. Um, so 126 different formulas you can use to value a company. But actually, the reason those formulas exist is because effectively, what you do with evaluation is you make up a number. Uh, out of thin air, and then you find a valuation model that would get you to that number. Because if it, it's just like when you did when you did math at school, and they say what's the answer, and you go twenty six, and they go how did you get twenty six, and you have to explain yourself. And it's the same thing when you're selling a company. You go three million, and they go why is it three million, and you go well it's our net assets plus three times earnings, and they go okay yeah that's fine, but if you go three million because I want to f- portion a big house, <laughs> it doesn't uh, <laughs> it doesn't work. Which, which that might be more of the real reason, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, they always say than... if you want to if you if you want to value a company, take the number of owners and multiply it by a million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I I'm laughing, but I'm also like not laughing because I do think that people they maybe overcomplicate that part or they do inflate yeah. it, and I think at the end of the day, yeah. whether it's good or bad, you know the the business is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it, and exactly. you know I think that if you have that mindset that um somebody's going to come in and one day like just show up at your doorstep willing to pay you loads of cash that might be a challenge i I always tell people you know like like there's always a market for highly profitable well-run businesses that are spinning off cash and if that is like that almost should be your primary goal is like get to that point where you're you're cash flow net positive you've got you know systems and processes and like it's a well-run business to own and it's it's a good business to own and if you have that, then there's going to be a market. I mean, that's basically what we yep. had created with our agency was a lot of systems and processes, a lot of recurring revenue, you know, really clearly defined, you know, roles and seats, a good book of business. And so, you know, and that created an environment where people were like, oh, hey, if you guys are ever looking to get out, let me know. Right. Um, yeah. Which is which is hopefully what we want. If that's the case for our listeners, you know, hopefully we can equip you with some cool tools and tactics from from today's show. Yeah. And I look, a really, uh, uh, you know, big risk I see all the time is when people get to where you just said, you know, they get to the point where they are spitting off cash and they do it. They then go, okay, now this is a keeper, you know, which is what I did with the call center that then went bust. You know, you have a pandemic or you have some crisis. And uh, yeah, when you sell a business and you create that capital event, you create that financial freedom for yourself going going forward. So, it, you know, it's well worth, uh, well worth learning this stuff. Yeah. That's a, and I think that's a huge takeaway from today. And, uh, and Jeremy, I think, Dude, we talked about valuation today. We talked about in the buy side, the sell side, merging, roll-ups, how to make acquisition uh, a, 
a viable growth strategy. We also got to learn a little bit about your your personal history, some of the do's and don'ts of all of this stuff, which has been super fascinating. Are you ready for our lightning round? Okay, sure. What's that? Just the short questions, short answers. So uh, what's the best advice you've ever received? Don't eat yellow snow. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what? Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Uh, I'm lazy, so I find the easiest solution for things. Can you share an internet resource, tool, or app that you use regularly that you think our listeners would find valuable? Uh, damn it. You know... Uh, I don't use, I don't really use that many. So, uh, no, uh, I've, uh, so my company has been trying to get me on Slack for ages and I just, <laughs> I just refuse to use it. <laughs> so, um, I, we have, we have our own app in the Harbor club and I'm on that quite a bit and I'm on social media, but that's about it. What book would you recommend and why? Do you know what? There are so many, uh, so many great books, um, there and, and often actually some of the, some of the books that are not about business can teach you the most about business, because I think you you read a book with a problem in your mind and you kind of solve the problem while you're reading the book. The, the book I read recently, which is nothing to do with business is called the traitor and the spy. Um, and it's about the kind of 1980s and, uh, MI6 in the UK having a very high level spy in the KGB in Russia. And it's just an incredible story that should be a movie. And it's a true story. But yeah. Sorry, long, long answer. That was not a lightning. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. And I love that, uh, you know, that quick takeaway of you solve that problem that's kind of on your mind while reading a book that yeah. I think sometimes we think, oh, man, I got this. I got the perfect answer for this problem. You know, but I think what books do, it kind of makes you think about that problem from different angles. And so whether the actual problem, whether the solution came from the book or not. You know, it, it happened while reading it, which I think is a cool takeaway. Yeah, and 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 I think um, you can read the same book twice at different points in your career and get a very different message from the same words, which is also interesting because I've done that before as well. Well, we'll make sure to include those in our takeaways and nuggets from today's show, as well as linking out to the trader uh, and the spy, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll give we'll, we'll give Slack a pseudo a sort of link uh you know we'll say hey tool uh jeremy's <laughs> team is a, trying to get use. him to use slack right um but but we'll, we'll, you guys can check that out at our show notes uh ugurus.com forward slash podcast if you're listening to this week of you'll see jeremy's picture right up there at the top click on that and you'll find lots of cool tips takeaways and links from this episode at ugurus.com forward slash podcast jeremy how can our audience find out more about you is there anything that you have that they can check out um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you can go to jeremyharbour.com. I spell harbour in the English way, so it's H-A-R-B-O-U-R. Um, we also have uh, have a book out in December called Go Do. Oh, it's called Go Do Deals. And uh, and we actually have the URL, godo.deals. Um, so if you go to godo.deals and you pre-order the book, um, we also throw in for free a like 21-day email um, sort of program. So every day for 21 days, you'll get an email that covers a different area of M&A. So it teaches you how to source companies, how to acquire them, fix them, everything else. And that, that's completely free. So if it's something, if I've kind of tweaked your interest in this area, this might be a good way of you consuming a load of stuff for free that you could decide whether or not it's something you want to pursue more vigorously. Awesome. We'll check that out at Jeremy Harbour. That's O-U-R at the end.com. If you're uh, on the road or on the run or on, on your bike like me, 
then uh, check that out at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. And we will put that link to jeremyharbor.com as well as godo.deals. And you do have a few other books you've already published. And so we'll link out to all that good stuff. So we'll just put it all in one place for you, as well as linking out to Jeremy's social profiles and all that stuff at our show notes page. Jeremy, dude, thank you so much for stopping by the program today. No, thank you for having me. And that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want that free ebook on how to scale to multiple six and seven figures, all you got to do is DM me on Facebook the word gift at Brent Weaver, and I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Brent Weaver.